All right. Good to see you guys. Okay, so uh, we have we don't have a lot to cover today. Well, actually, we'll get through the lesson pretty pretty quick today. But I do have two important. <laughs> Did someone just woo for that? Is that? In that case, we're just gonna we're just gonna keep on going today. We're just gonna, no, no, just joking. Uh, something I did want to tell you, if, if you're new here, this, this won't really apply to you much, but if you've been here for a while, um, you'll understand why I'm announcing this. So our worship night is next Friday. Uh, that's not the announcement. Um, the announcement is we're going to continue on with 1 Samuel that weekend. So typically we would do a baptism weekend after that. We're going to shift that around because um, over the years we noticed that sometimes it's a little lower the weekends immediately after the worship night. So... I wanted to switch that around a little bit, but I also wanted to be fair and let you know some people on our team are spiteful and they didn't want to tell you people and they just wanted a bunch of you to miss and then be like, oh no, we were doing First Samuel, but I'm like, no, no, let's not do that. So uh, I'm just letting you know, we'll still be in First Samuel the, the weekend after worship night. That's the first thing. Um, I guess the second thing is just me leading into the lesson where we're continuing on with First Samuel this weekend, if you weren't here last weekend, I always say this because they always do a good job. Savu did a fantastic job, a, a really phenomenal job. And a lot of people think uh, when I'm not teaching that my wife and I are like off in Barbados or something. That's not true. I was, I was here Saturday night. I had a meeting at the five during the five. I was in the seven with my wife. We were sitting in the back on the pew at the seven. And, um, and then Sunday morning, I went to our Tullahoma campus for their 9 o'clock service, and then I went to the Shelbyville campus for their 11 o'clock service, so I went all over the place. And um, really, really refreshing. All those guys did a great job. Savut, I, what I love about Savut is Savut will say something like deeply profound and convicting, but he's always so calm. So it takes a second, and you're like, oh gosh, yeah, that guy was for me, you know, and and as he was teaching last week, he was doing chapters six and seven of 1 Samuel, which I hope you've been, I hope you found this book of the Bible interesting. I think it's exceptionally interesting. And he said something, and he said it early on in the lesson, but it stuck with me, and it stuck with me all week because I think it's really brilliant. He said it's not enough to turn from our gods, right, from, from our sin and our evil. It's not enough to turn from, uh, away from those things. We actually have to turn towards the true God at the same time. That it's not enough to turn away from evil, we have to turn to what is good. Because if we, if we turn away from these gods, but don't turn away or turn to the, the true God, we'll eventually find another artificial God. And it was quite brilliant. Sitting in the back of the room, and I was with my wife, and I was like, man, I hope everyone heard that and listened to that. It was so good. Um, but chapter 6 and 7, we, we see the ark of God come back to the Jewish people. We see the Philistines um, um, not turning away from their gods. And we see kind of a, an era of prosperity for the Jewish people for a while. And then we're going to pick up in chapter 8. And in chapter 8 that we're going to do today, there is a monumental shift. I would say not just in the book of Samuel or even the Bible, but in all human history, there is a monumental shift that takes place in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Because what happens is, man, I hope I hope everyone just really absorbs this today. What happens in chapter eight is, is the Jewish people, the Israelites, who had never had an earthly authority over them. They had judges and they had people who kind of kept the, the laws of God intact, but they never had a king like the neighboring nations. And in chapter eight, we see the people of God say, we want to be like the other nations. We do not want to be distinct. Listen, we don't want to be distinct from the world around us. We want to blend in with the world around us. 
and there is a monumental shift that takes place. And I would say that shift that takes place, this is 3,000 years ago, I think Christians today are still grappling with and paying the price for putting earthly leadership above God. I think we are still doing that. And um, we'll talk about that a little bit today, okay? I told myself going into this weekend, I will only get as political as the Bible allows me to be. And if you're new here, I'm just gonna tell you about how I feel about politics. I, I don't like any of it. I'm completely apolitical. And some people like that about me and some people don't like that about me. But, but I don't think it's my job to teach you politics. I think it's my job to teach you the word. So we stick with that. And um, someone over there likes that, see? <laughs> and, um, and so that's what we'll do today, okay? But, but there are some things that are brought up in the Bible. And it's a good reminder to everyone, I didn't write the Bible. But there are some really good things in the Bible that come up that, that are very applicable to, to what we're going through in our, in our nation in 2023 and what we will go through in 2024. So it'd be very wise of us to just take note of these things and make sure our heart is in the right place, okay? So what we're gonna talk about today is that we, if you claim to be a, a follower of Christ, we are to live distinctly different from the culture that is around us. We're not to blend in, we're, we're to live distinct, okay? That's what we're gonna talk about. So you should have got a notes handout today, everything will be in there. Everything will be on the screen. If you have the app, just click on sermon notes. Everything is right there. If you have a Bible, way back in the Old Testament, we are in 1 Samuel. We're going to do all of chapter 8. We'll get through chapter 8 relatively quick. And um, we're going to hang out a little bit longer at the end, just, just talk about some practical application, okay? And we'll do that. So glad you guys are here this morning. Um, it's good to see it full, right? So um, good to see you. Let me pray for you, and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump into this, all right? Father, Lord, I love you. God, I thank you so much for, for everyone that's in this room this morning in this building. God, I just pray that you bless our church, Lord. Um, not just our church, Father, we pray for, for all the churches in our city. Pray for our other campuses, the churches in those cities, Lord. God, we, we just pray that as we study today and as we read your word that you, that you just illuminate more truth to us, God, that we can grow in a deeper relationship with you, that not only can we know you more, Father, that we can know ourselves more because we know who we are in you. I pray, Lord, that as we talk about kings today and authority, I pray that we understand that you are the king of kings, that you are the only perfect authority, God, in our lives, or that you should be. God, keep your hand on us today. We love you and we thank you. Pray all these things in your name, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's get into it. It's a fun one, okay? So we're going to break it in three parts. I'll do a short one, a little bit longer part, and then a short one at the end, okay? Here we go. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. His firstborn son's name was Joel, and his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. However, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned towards dishonest prophet, took bribes, and they perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and went to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, look... You are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us the same as all the other nations have. So if you weren't here last week, obviously some time has passed from chapter seven to chapter eight. Now it says he's an, you're an old man. He was an older man. He's not super old. He's about 60 years old at this point, Samuel. And at this point in his life, he appoints his two sons, 
as judges over a territory called Beersheba. Now, what the judges would do is this. The judges would be in different territories all over Israel, and they were basically mediators. Listen, this is important. Not over man's laws, but over God's laws for man. So if there was a dispute, you know, if Jason and I were to have a dispute, we would call a judge in, a judge would come in, sit down, hear Jason's side, hear my side. He would look at it and say, well, by the laws given to us by God, you know, Jason's actually right in this, so we need to do this to rectify the situation. That's what they did. They mediated disputes and things in the community based on God's laws, and that, that was good. The problem was is that Samuel's two sons weren't really much different than Eli. He was the priest that we read about a couple of weeks ago. They were not different than his two sons. They were corrupt. They were bad, okay? And so here's what we learn from this, and this is tough. It would be fair to assume that Samuel raised his two sons correctly. It'd be fair to assume that. He raised them in the fear of the Lord. He raised them in the truth. He raised them to, to pray and read the scripture, and he did that. It's also safe to say that when he appointed them judges, he didn't see anything in his two sons that were red flags for making them leaders. Now, if you're a parent in this room, you're gonna completely understand where I'm coming from in this. This is one of the hardest truths about parenting. We can do the best we can to raise our children in the ways of God. We can teach them the word. We can pray with them every night. We can bring them to church. We can model the best example we possibly can. Now listen, we're gonna make mistakes, all of us parents in this room. We're not gonna be perfect, but we can do the best we can. What is difficult though is ultimately though, our children have to make their own decision to follow Christ. And sometimes they don't. And that's hard. And as a parent, guys, I don't know how any of you feel. I have two teenage daughters. Um, that's, that's scary sometimes. We also learn this that authority in the hands of people that are spiritually immature can be very dangerous. Do you hear me? Even if people seem to be really good people, if they don't have a relationship with God and leaning on his wisdom, giving people power who don't have a relationship with God ends up pretty terrible most of the time. And we see that again right here. Another thing we learn is this. So there were people in the community in Israel that had an issue with Samuel and his sons. But it appears like they didn't go to Samuel with those issues or his sons. They all got together and they gathered and they talked and they gossiped and they, 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 they kind of built up a little army against Samuel and then they approached him and said, this is what we want to do. They had already made up their mind. And the reason why they did that is they didn't wanna, they didn't wanna have conflict. They didn't wanna possibly lose a friend or they didn't want the uncomfortableness of having a tough conversation, so they did all these things behind his back. This is very anti-God. This is not the way that, that God tells us to deal with conflict. In fact, God himself, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 18, tells us exactly how we are to deal with conflict. That if you and I have an issue, right? If you have an issue with me or vice versa, Jesus says in Matthew 18 that we are, are to go to that person one-on-one -on -one and we're to say, hey, listen, I have this offense, I have this issue, I think you were wrong in here, let's talk about it and try to resolve it. If that doesn't work, Jesus said, go get a second person and the two of you go. And then Jesus says, if that doesn't work, get a third person and the three of you go. And then Jesus says, if that still doesn't work, get the elders of the church involved in the situation. 
You know what we tend to do though? And if you ever do this to me, I'll go ahead and tell you what my answer will be. Instead of talking to that person directly and going through these steps, we jump right to the top and, hey, I have this problem with so-and-so and you need to fix it. And if one comes up to me and does that, I will simply say what Jesus said. Did you first talk to them one-on-one? No. Then I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna listen to anything you say because it's against the words of God. And so if we do not bring our conflicts directly to that person and we go any other path, we are breaking what Jesus tells us to do. And this causes division and it causes strife and it causes all kinds of sinful ramifications because we're not doing it the way God tells us to do it. And we're gonna see more of these ramifications in this chapter. So they already had their minds made up. They go to Samuel and they say, appoint for us a king to judge us. There's no prayer about, (laughs) man, there is no prayer about the future of a nation. There was a lot of backbiting. There was a lot of grumbling. There was a lot of complaining. There were a lot of Facebook posts, but there was no prayer for the future of the people. I, I hope I don't hurt anyone's feelings. You know, your Facebook posts will not change the nation. Do you know what might? Praying for people. But we talk so much garbage, right? We're constantly grumbling and saying bad things about everyone. And listen, if you're saying bad things about someone you don't know in Washington, you're still saying bad things about people instead of praying for those people. And so we need to make sure that we are praying more than we are complaining. But what these people were doing is they looked at the world around them They looked at all the neighboring nations and people groups around them, and they said, we want to blend in with them. We want to be like them. Now, look at how absurd and how crazy this is. The people who surrounded the Jewish people were people like the worshipers of Moloch. The worshipers of Moloch would have children for no other reason but to pull newborn babies out of the womb, crash their heads up against skulls for their gods. Infanticide. That's true. That's in the Bible. Uh, They had people like the Philistines around them who were constantly intoxicated and drunk and barbaric and loved to go at wars for no other reason but to kill and, and, and hurt people. They had all of these people around them that were immoral and whose lives were a wreck but the, the, the liberated people of God who knew better, listen to me church, wanted to look like the non-God-fearing people around them. Crazy. I think we still do it though. And that's what's nuts about everything, 3,000 years ago. And the problem with blending in with the culture of the world is that God calls us to be distinct. Jesus wants us to live distinctly because listen, it's not that we're better than anyone else in the world. Every human you lay your eyes on are miraculously, wonderfully made in the image of God. Here's the difference between us and them. I hate to phrase it like that, but I'm gonna phrase it like that. The difference between the believer and the non-believer is not that, 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 that we're, we're more miraculously made or even more loved by God. The difference between us and them is we should understand that we are miraculously and beautifully made. And if we understand that we are miraculously and beautifully made, we should want to live in distinction from a culture that lives in debauchery and violence and our grotesque. If we are saved and we understand that we are not accidents or animals. Someone heard that, I hope. You're not just an accidental clump of cells. 
You were, you were miraculously created and knit together in your mother's womb, the Bible says, by God. Not only are you not an accident, you're not an animal. And especially the people of God should know not to act like animals. Not to act like animals, animals sexually, where we just casually have sexual relationships with all kinds of people in our species, right? That's how animals act. That we don't act violently and hurt people because we're territorial. That's how animals act. It's not how people should act. Especially ones who know who they are, who are made in the complexity and beauty of the image of God. And if we are Christians, we should understand and live in and appreciate the immense value that we have in God's eyes. We are complex. We are made in God's image. God loves us, and we should live like that. Not like accidents, not like animals. So distinction from the ways of the world is, is a staple of the Christian faith, or at least it should be. It's a biblical principle of the Christian faith. Peter says that we are to be peculiar and holy, Holy means that we follow the teachings of the Bible. Peculiar does not necessarily mean how we look. We should be modest. But there are some people who are like, oh, we're to be peculiar. Let's all wear overalls and, you know, in the straw hats and live out in a commune. That's not what that means. And some people giggle at that, but I was saved in a denomination that said that women can't wear pants. They have to wear skirts. They can't wear makeup. That men can't have beards. You can't go to the movie theater. We could go to the bowling alley where you could buy a beer, smoke a cigarette, and listen to 50 Cent, but we couldn't go to the movie theater. Because <laughs> that's what legalism does. It gets dumb, doesn't it? But, but, but some people think peculiar means when you walk into a room, they're like, oh, that guy looks like a weirdo. He must follow Jesus. That's not what that means. Peculiarity is how we act, how we think. So Peter says we're to be peculiar and holy so we can, we can illuminate God's goodness to others. Paul tells us to be separate for unclean things. Why? Not because God's a tyrant or because we're supposed to act better than everyone else, but if we profess to be Christians, we understand that we have been washed and made clean by the blood of God's Son. <gasps> and if I understand that I've been washed clean by the blood of God's Son, I should want to stay away from things that contaminate that cleanliness. And so we are to be distinct. True faith, true Christianity is holy, biblical, it is noticeable, it is distinct, okay? And here's the price for not living like that. This is very interesting to me, guys. When they said, give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demand wrong and he prayed to the Lord. But the Lord told him, listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you, they have rejected me as their king. They are doing the same thing to you that they have done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. Listen to them, but solemnly warn them and tell them about the customary rights of the king who will reign over them. Samuel told all the Lord's words to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, these are the rights of the king who will reign over you. Listen to this. He will take your sons and put them to use in his chariots, on his horses, or running in front of the chariots. He can appoint them for his use as commanders of thousands or commanders of fifties, to plow his ground and reap his harvest, 
or to make his weapons of war and the equipment for his chariots. He can take your daughters to become perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He can take your best fields, vineyards, and olive orchards and give them to his servants. Imagine a ruler who would take from the common people and give it to their buddies. He can take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give them to his officials and servants. He can take your male and female servants, your best cattle, your best donkeys, and use them for his work. He can take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves can become his servants. When that day comes, you will cry out because the king you've chosen for yourself, but the Lord will not answer you on that day. (laughs) We're going to get into some real world stuff here in a second. So here's the thing. The Israelites wanted the ease of having an earthly king to put all of their responsibility onto. In the next part that I'm gonna read to you, they even say, give us a king who will fight our battles for us. So here's what we have done. Even in today's society, just like the Israelites, the Israelites said, give us a king who will, who will, who will be prosperous for us. They will fight our battles for us. They will do everything for us. We don't wanna be responsible because it takes a little bit more work to have a personal relationship with the king of kings and follow his word but we want to to put all that pressure on someone else. Now, I already said earlier, I'm apolitical, so I'm going to be fair with this criticism, okay? Nowadays, we have a bunch of people walking around going, man, I am flat broke, and that's because of Joe Biden. You're flat broke because you drive a $65,000 truck and you only make $52,000 a year. That's why you're broke. That has nothing to do with Joe Biden. Or a bunch of people said, man, everyone was racist when Donald Trump was in office. That hatred was already in their heart. They just had a scapegoat to throw it on at that point. See, we do the same things, and it's just as ridiculous today as it was 3,000 years ago. We say, give us a king to where if we're gonna be prosperous, it's because they're gonna be awesome. But, but here's the thing. If I fail, it's not my fault, it's someone else's, and we shift that blame because we want to avoid the personal, I'm talking about the people of God want to avoid the responsibility of having a one-on-one relationship with the king of kings so we appoint a king on earth so we can blame everything on that person. We still do it today, guys. And we have to own ourselves. We have to own our own, not own ourselves, but own our own uh, uh, choices and, and the things that we do. And if we live in a relationship with the king of kings, we live responsibly and, and, and we live in a way that honors God. Now listen, here's the thing. It's not that we should be against all human authority. Whenever people leave this church, 99% of people who leave this church, it's not over theology, it's over politics, which is a real shame. But one of the things, you know, either, either I'm too critical of, of politics and people are going, oh, why are you so critical? Or I say things like Romans chapter 13 when we taught it, that we are to honor the governing authorities. And people get ticked off when I say that. And I'm like, man, Paul wrote that that we are to honor the governing authorities because they're all there because God has allowed them to be there. We sometimes think that we outvoted God sometimes. Well, shoot, man, we all voted for this, but this happened. What's going on? Man, listen, we're gonna find out Saul's a pretty bad king, but God put him there. God put a corrupt leader in place because the people were corrupt and he wanted to teach them a lesson. 
Here's the thing. Should we honor the governing authorities? Absolutely, we should, whether you like the person or not. The Bible says we are to honor the governing authorities. But the Christian understands that the ultimate authority is the king of kings, that the ultimate authority is God's law, not man's laws. So Samuel heard this request from the people and instantly he goes, this is not right, this is wrong. And not only did he feel like it was wrong, he felt rejection. He brings it to God and God says, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. If one is, is, is truly speaking the things of God and they're being rejected, people are rejecting God, not the messenger. So here's the balance in this though. If we are teaching the truth and, look at that, capital letters underlined, and living the truth, we can have peace that if people hate us, if people are aggressive towards us, it's not really about us. It's about a God that can handle that. We can't handle it, but God can handle it. Now, the reason I underlined and, and bolded and there is because a lot of people speak the truth, but they either speak it from a vantage point of hypocrisy or they speak it from a vantage point of anger and hatred. Now, here's what I've learned about the truth. If the truth is spoken from a hypocritical person, no one cares about your truth. If I get up here and tell you not to look at porn, but I'm cheating on my wife, you don't care what I have to say. I'm a hypocrite. If I get up here and tell you that you're to love people, but I constantly talk bad about people and have vitriolic things coming out of my mouth, you don't care about my love because I speak from a vantage point of hate. Not only do we have to speak the truth, we have to speak the truth in a manner that honors God. We have to live out this truth. And then we can rest assured that if people hate us, it's not us, it's God. So Samuel brings it to the Lord, he prays, and then God tells him to do this. He says, one, let the people know that they're selfish. <laughs> God had miraculously delivered them out of Egypt and now they want to be under the thumb of an earthly king. That's entitlement, it's selfishness. Tell them that. The second thing that God says is he says, Samuel, listen to them, do what they say, but warn them. Warn them solemnly. And then the last thing he tells Samuel to do is paint a clear picture of what this is going to cost them, what this is going to mean. And we'll get to that here in a second. It's very, very fascinating. So Sam took the word from God and delivered it straight to the elders of Israel, to the people of Israel. And he said, the reality of their choice to follow their desires, to, to blend in with the world around him for being selfish, the result of their selfishness and their desires was going to be that they're going to be controlled and that they're going to be abused. Because here's the thing about humans, if they don't have a relationship with God, we all become self-centered. So if our ultimate authority is a man or a woman, if our ultimate authority is a human, humans are flawed and we are all prone to selfishness. And what God is saying, or what he was saying to these people is, if we make humans our ultimate authority, humans can be corrupted. Humans can be selfish. And what this means is, any man-made system, God-made systems work out for us. Man-made systems enable insecure, power-hungry people to take advantage and oppress the populace. Do you know this has been going on since chapter eight, 3,000 years ago, this has been how every government has functioned. There are the haves, the kind of haves, the, the, the have-nots, and those ones in the middle in every, man, 
in every society that's ever existed, those ones in the middle dissipate further and further and further. You're seeing it right now in your country because we, we ultimately place our authority in humans and that's always gonna come up short. So what was happening was this. They're going to move from judges in territories who, listen, who upheld God's laws. They were gonna move from that model to where the power was kind of dispersed and the power was focused on God. They're moving away from that model to a monarchy, which put the power and control of a nation in the hands of a very select few who would be elite. And this is the Bible. I didn't write this. The Bible says this. The result of putting the power of a nation into the hands of just a couple of people, the result would be military drafts. Look at what God even tells Samuel. They're gonna take your young men, they're gonna put them in the chariots. He says, they're gonna put them in front of the chariots. You know what happens to those guys? They all die. So the government will form and when they go to unnecessary wars, they'll take all your young men like pawns in a game and they'll stick them out on the field so they can all be slaughtered first. You know what's interesting? Later on in this chapter, when the people of Israel say, we want our king to go fight our battles for us. Kings don't fight battles. Presidents aren't out there on, on, on the front of the lines. They're up in a, in, a, in a nice office drinking wine while men are getting slaughtered on the field. It's been like that throughout all of human history. So the people's trust is misplaced. There will be military drafts. There will be unnecessary wars. There will be overtaxation. That the ones on top will live opulently while the ones on the bottom strive to just make ends meet. Does it sound familiar that the government can seize your land without any warning or any explanation? This is biblical. That when we put our hope in an earthly institution, these are the ramifications. In other words, what God was saying to the people is, if you make any other king the king of your life besides me, you are essentially walking right back into slavery. It's like dogs that return to their vomit, right? They're going back to what they've already been delivered of. And so what we learn is this, our selfishness actually restricts us. Being all about ourselves actually damages us. We live in a world right now, let's take this out of politics and government and let's bring it into just the society we live in today. You and I live in a culture right now that is constantly selling you personal happiness. That's what it's all about, right? Your way, your reality, the way you want to do it, it's all about you. Again, I have two teenage daughters. It's all about, you know, what makes you happy and it's all about living out your reality and your truth and your identity and it's all you 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 based. That's what we have made the western world, especially the United States. And in this very bastardized, twisted, manipulative version of freedom, it has actually led to us as a people, I'm not saying any of you in this room, but we as a society, buying into this, this idea of boundaryless freedom has made us, by every study you can find right now, has made us the most anxious, depressed, aggressive, violent, irresponsible people in the history of mankind. Do you know what our pursuit of self has given us in the United States besides utter chaos? It has made us the most bound, enslaved, addicted people that have ever existed. Prove me wrong on that. Find me one study that tells you otherwise. So the question has to be asked, has the pursuit of self given us what we want? Has it made us content? Has it made us peaceful? Has it made us prosperous? 
No. So maybe we should look at doing things differently. But, but that's just logic and reason thrown in there. So what has happened is, and I'm talking about the United States of America. It, it happened with the, the Israelites 3,000 years ago. It's happening to us right now. Is in this pursuit of self, we are not distinct, but we end up blending in with the culture around us. And the culture around us is falling apart. Let's read the next part. The people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we must have a king over us. Then we'll be like the other nations. Our king will judge us, go out before us, and fight our battles. Samuel listened to all the people's words and then repeated them to the Lord. Listen to them, the Lord told Samuel. Appoint a king for them. Then Samuel told the men of Israel, each of you, go back to your cities. So, listen to how crazy this is. Samuel had been a respected prophet, man of God, for decades, decades and decades and decades. And so the elders of Israel stand in front of a, a trusted man of God. And the trusted man of God says, this is what the Lord tell me, told, told me to tell you. And they just go, we don't care. We want to be like the rest of the world around us. We want to just fit in. We want someone to do it for us. Listen to me. We don't want to be held personally responsible. We want a king or a queen to blame it on. We want someone else to fight our battles for us. They literally said that. And so again, and I'm asking, and I don't know the answer because I do it too sometimes. Why do we, us in this room, people who have heard the truth, people, there are some of us in this room, I was a cocaine addict. There are people in this room who've been, who've been delivered from addictions. You've been delivered from sexual sin. You've been delivered for, from awful things that have happened to you and affected your mind and your body and your heart. We have been miraculously touched and saved. What is it about us? that thinks we can go back to those things? Why are we still enticed by the destructive, alluring things of our culture? If you know that that porn is going to ruin your marriage, why do you keep dabbling in it? If you know that that materialism is never gonna satisfy your heart, why do we think just gaining more and more and more is eventually gonna work? I don't know the answer, I'm just asking the question. If we see that the world around us, do you want your marriage to look like, you know, the Kardashians? Then why do you watch that crap? Why, well, hold on, seriously, why do we idolize people like that? If we don't want to end up like that, then why do we look up to it? Why do we allow those to be the things that lead our children versus their parents? Why? I don't know. I don't understand it. And again, it goes back to the scripture, like a dog that returns to their vomit. You've already expelled that toxic thing out of you. What, why go back to that? Why go back to that? And when we do go back to that, we become like the world around us. And here's a really disturbing principle that we see throughout the entire Bible, right here in chapter eight, all the way through the book of Romans, all the way through the Bible, we see this, this, this really disturbing principle that if we know the truth and still pursue our wants over the truth, or if we don't know the truth but don't have any desire to know the truth because we're afraid the truth may contradict my lifestyle, if that's how we live, eventually God says, 
give them their king. Give them what they want. If they want this, give them that. If they want violence, give them violence. If they want sexual immorality, give them sexual immorality. If they want these other gods, if they want these, just give it to them. And he gives us over to our pursuits. And what ends up happening is our life on this earth and then our life on eternity is the fruit of those seeds that we plant. So if we plant a bunch of seeds of selfishness, we will reap selfishness. If we, if we, on the other hand, invest into the kingdom of God, we then reap the things of the kingdom of God. And so our, our life now and our life in eternity is completely contingent on who we make king. Do we invite the king of kings to lead us and be our Lord? Or do we put it on someone in Washington? Or do we put it on some celebrity? Or do we think we're the king or the queen, right? And again, in that we fail to live distinct. So Christians are called to be countercultural in a biblical way. When I say countercultural, oh shoot, that's right. I'm gonna go grab a megaphone, I'm gonna go to MTSU, and I'm gonna yell stuff at people. Do you know what happens when people do that? They look just like the rest of society. All the rest of society thinks that the way you win an argument is you just scream louder than the other person. And that's what you're doing with the megaphone. You look just like everyone else. That's not countercultural. Do you know what's amazing about the church in the United States? We are to live perpendicular to culture, right? Not parallel. And it is fascinating to me how many churches in the United States want to live parallel to culture, and then we wonder why God's not blessing the church. Because we're not to live parallel to culture, we're to live distinct. We're to live countercultural. And when we live countercultural, this shines the light of God so other people can see it. What do I mean by that? If you're in this room and you're married and you follow the biblical principles of, married, uh, of marriage, you're going to have an absolutely amazing marriage. And what's going to happen is your friends that may not be believers whose marriages are struggling are going to see your marriage and go, man, I want that. What's the secret? Well, the secret is Ephesians 5, right? She treats me with respect. I love her like Christ loves me. Simple. But if we live in that biblical relationship with each other, man, our marriage is blessed. And people will see that and go, I want that. And not only does it illuminate the fruit of living for God, it illuminates the goodness of God and how much he loves us. And then our calling to come out and not touch anything unclean should remind us of our value. Again, it's not that God is tyrannical and doesn't want you to have any fun. God wants you to understand that you are wonderfully, beautifully, uniquely, miraculously made and bought with a price. And so we are to live in a way that honors that. Again, I hope you guys teach your kids this. Again, I have two girls. And there are certain things that I don't subject them to. And when I see these things in society, I try to use them as teachable moments. Like there are all these beautiful young ladies that listen to music that calls them the B word and hoes and sluts and worthless and treats them like garbage. And I wanna look at these beautiful young ladies and say, why would you listen to that lie? And so I try to teach my kids, like my two girls, like as long as it's in God's will, anything you wanna do, you can do it because you're miraculously, beautifully made in God's image. Just trust him and follow him and know your value, know the power that is within you. That's why we stay away from unclean things because God doesn't want us to be tainted by things that will destroy us. 
So we live in distinction. We live in distinction in how we think. This is why the Bible says that we, we ask him to capture our thoughts. Because if we don't get control of our thoughts, eventually they're gonna bleed into our actions. And we are to be distinct in how we think about things. We're to be distinct in how we act, how we treat people. As Christians, we should be distinct in what we engage in. You know what that means, Christian brothers and sisters? There are some places that you shouldn't go. There are some things you should not look at. There are some things that you should not allow to feed your brain. This is why Jesus said, and I quote the same things over and over and over again. This is why Jesus said in the gospel that, that whatever we take in through the eyes contaminates the entire soul. So what we look at matters. What we listen to matters. What we engage in and allow to feed our thought process matters. And we should be distinct in those things. We should be different than the world in those things. We should also view the things in the world by the lens of the word of God. That is distinctly different. That we view people through the lens of the word of God. That we don't view people like other people view people. America is all about loving people until you disagree with that person and you are to vehemently hate that person. That's seriously, that's our culture. Man, we're all about love, 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 love. Well, hey, I'm a conservative Christian. We hate you. And I'm gonna scream in your face and spit at you. So that's a conditional love. Do you know the Bible tells us to have unconditional love? Do you know what that means? That that radical person in the parade that you disagree with everything they do in, your, in, in their life, you're not supposed to agree with them, but you know that you are to radically love them? It's quiet in here. Do you know that you're to love the racist? Do you know that the racist is made in the same image of God as you are? Do you know that God wants them saved as well? Do you know that God loves the radical Islamist? Do you know that God loves the hedonistic gay person or trans person? And listen, you know what the difference between us and them are? And I hate to speak in those terms, us and them. But you know what the difference between the believer and those non-believers is? Is we should understand who we are in God because we have the knowledge. They don't have that knowledge yet. And so instead of breaking people down and looking at them like they're trash because they don't know what I know, it is my call from God to at least give them the opportunity to receive the same knowledge that I've received. This is how Jesus tells us to look at all people. A biblical lens that he loves. It is not God's desire that any perish. You know the word says that? Doesn't matter how vile that person is. We are to look at culture with wisdom through the lens of the Bible. We're to look at authority through the lens of the Bible. We're to address people in tension and conflict through the lens of the Bible, not the way the world does it. The world says if someone hits your cheek, punch them harder. Jesus says if someone hits this cheek, offer him your other cheek. If someone takes your shoes, offer him your shirt, Jesus says. If someone asks you to walk a mile, walk two, Jesus says. We are distinct in how we handle those tense uh, situations in our life. And the danger of not being distinct in how we live is both temporary in this, in this life and eternal. If we choose not to be distinct in this life and have a relationship with Jesus, we suffer the consequences of living outside of the will of God. 
Even people who claim to be followers of Jesus, but if we are not living righteously, James says our prayers are not effective. If we're not praying for things in the name of Jesus, that means in God's will, our prayers are not effective. So even if we claim to know Christ, but we're not praying for his will and living righteously, we are, we are not going to have much success in this life because we're not on the right road. We're not in God's will. And when I say success, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about real success. Your marriage, your family, your friendships, right? Your peace, your contentment, your joy. And so without a relationship with God, we're not in his will. We're not walking in his wisdom. We're not walking in his provision. And then in eternity, we will be permanently separated from the presence of God. Now listen, I don't know if if hell is literal fire and brimstone. I don't care actually. What I do know that hell is, is it is a group of people who are are permanently separated from the presence of God. The Bible says that every good and perfect thing that we have comes from God. So even non-believers, when they're really kind or nice or sweet, that's a gift from God that they are able to do that. Imagine billions and billions of people confined to a spot to where there is no presence of God whatsoever. That's worse than fire and brimstone. Imagine billions of people with not one stitch of goodness in them. That is hell. That is hell. And that will be the ramifications of us choosing to be kings of our own life versus following the king of kings. And let me tell you guys, because again, all of you in this room, especially you younger people in this room, constantly you are bombarded with this mantra of you do you. It is your identity, it is your truth, it is your selection of what you are, it is, it, it is your reality, it's all about you. Make yourself happy. This is the, the fundamental lie of Satanism. It is the first lie that has ever been used against humanity. There was a time when there was only two people on earth, Adam and Eve. And one day, listen to me, Eve is sitting in a garden surrounded by all kinds of things that she could have eaten and take pleasure in. But she sees this one thing that she's not supposed to have. And it looks good. And it probably feels good. And it probably tastes good. And as she's sitting here letting her mind wander on this one thing that would physically please her, the devil walks up and says, hey, do you know if you take what you want, you will be like God? Do you know if you just take what you physically want, you will be the master of your own destiny? And so she did, right? And her husband was just as guilty as she was. And what happened to their relationship? What happened to the garden? What happened to the entire earth around them? What happened to their children? Do you know that when we live selfishly, it doesn't just affect us? Do you know what happened to Adam and Eve's kids? They got in a little fight. There are ramifications, and it is a lie that is being sold to you, and it's being sold to you through the TV shows you watch, through the music you listen to, through the commercials for fast food restaurants. Everything is told to you. It's all about you. Hey, just do what you want. And if we think about it rationally, do we want the results of a world that pursues self? Do you want your marriages to end up like the Kardashians' marriages? Do you want your kids to be as materialistic as those people you see on TV? Do you want to be as shallow or these people who just make videos of themselves doing makeup for six hours a day and like thinking that they're cute and that the world cares? Do you want that? And if not, then why do we keep entertaining it? 
As the wonderful philosopher Fugazi once said, it's not what they're selling, but it's what I'm buying. Evil will always try to sell evil, but the problem is, is the people who should know better shouldn't be purchasing it. We shouldn't be consuming it. We shouldn't be taking part. It's not what they're selling. I can't control what they're selling, but I can control what I'm buying. I can control what I allow in my house. I can control what I allow around my children and my marriage. I can control that. I have to take some personal responsibility. The amount of money in my checking account right now isn't because of Joe Biden, it's because of me. It's because of how hard I work and how much we don't spend. Now, I'm not saying that policies can't affect day-to-day a little bit, but if we are living by the biblical principles of money in the Bible, we should be okay because we trust in the King of Kings that has the cattle on a thousand hills, not in Washington, D.C. And we need to quit shifting blame and say, maybe the problem is me. Maybe the problem is I have the wrong king in my life. Man, governments will always sell you corruption. It's all they've ever sold. It's unfortunate how many of you are buying it. Here's the thing. When I say countercultural, no one was more countercultural than Jesus. Now, living by, the, living by the teachings and principles of Jesus in the word of God is not easy. It is going against the grain. I said perpendicular, right? But in a world of people doing everything they can to be distinct, have you not noticed that they all just look the same? The only way to truly live in distinction and uniqueness is to understand who we are in God, that God has never created two people completely identical. We don't have the same experiences. There's no one on earth that has the experiences you have. There's no one on earth that has the exact biological makeup that you have. You are distinct, you are different, you are unique. And we as Christians should understand that and live in the beauty of that. That that in in a sea of 8 billion people, there is no one exactly like you. And God sees you and God loves you. And so what we have to do though, here's the great irony of the Christian faith. The more we choose to make ourselves last, listen, the, the, the more we reject the pursuit of self, the more we reject selfishness and our own desires, the more God blesses us. I hope you heard that. The less you make it about you, the more God makes it about you. And if we will choose to seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew chapter six, and trust that God has a distinct path for us, we not only honor our creator, we build a relationship with our creator. I think the problem is a lot of people come into this room, Christians, come into this room every single week and you think this is about you. It's not about you. We worship, not you, we worship God. We study the word to know more about God. We, we should, in theory, be constantly making him the focal point. But here's the beauty. Like I said, the more we make him the focal point, the more he makes us the focal point. And he will always outdo you. So the more we bless him, right? the more he blesses us in ways that we can't imagine. So we have to make sure that we remember this is all about him. And in putting God first and in building a relationship with Jesus, not only do we become distinct in how we live, we flourish. 
Our friendships flourish. We become peacemakers. We become deep, insightful people. We become content people. We become people who are full of joy. We become, as Jesus said, the light, the salt of the earth. Why do we flourish? We flourish because we are walking in the wisdom of God. I was talking to a young man the other day. He was in his 20s, and I told him, I said, listen, young man, every single time you pray, pray for God's wisdom, because I told him, you're not old enough to be wise. That's not a joke. If you're in your 20s in here, you're you're not old enough to have accumulated wisdom yet. That doesn't mean you can't be wise. It means that it has to be a gift from God. And the Bible says if you ask for wisdom, he gives it. So every young person in this room, every single time you pray, say, God, give me wisdom, please. And he will give you wisdom. Even when you're at an age to where you haven't had the time to accumulate wisdom. That when we're walking in a relationship with God, we walk in distinction, we walk in wisdom, we're gonna make mistakes, but, but thank God we walk in his grace. We walk in his provision. And do you know what happens when we make God first and God blesses us? It affects our kids. And it affects our wife or our husband. It starts to bleed on to the people we work with. It starts to bleed on to the other students in the classroom. It starts to affect your neighbor when we pursue God over self. The problem with our, our, and it's not that I'm anti-America, but the problem with us as a people right now is we have become worshipers of the God of individuality. And in that pursuit of constantly following self, we we are destroying ourselves, guys, because we have become the kings of our own life. And when that doesn't work out, we have, a, we have a, a man-made king somewhere in D.C. or somewhere in our state or somewhere on television. And when I fail, I just blame it on that king or queen instead. And the problem is we have misguided our trust. And our trust should be in the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Would you bow your heads with me, please? As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I, 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 I want to leave you with an encouraging thought. And the encouraging thought is this. You, you, you are beautifully made. You are the only thing in the universe that resembles God. You're it. You're not an animal. You're not an accident. You're not just circumstance or, or chance. The creator, the architect of it all sees you and knows you. This is why we are called to live differently because we are more valuable than we give ourselves credit for. If you are in this room and you do not have a relationship with God, but you're looking, you're digging, you're you're seeking answers, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Muhammad is up here. He would love to talk with you. We have men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything, please get prayer. The last thing is, all the way around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table, and the majority of these posts in the middle, we have bread and wine, and that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ, communion. Everyone is welcome to take communion as long as you have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin, okay? While you're praying today, I just want you to just maybe be honest with the Lord and say, God, have I made anything else a king above you? Have I put myself above you? And if so, just forgive me. We need to choose to make God first in our life. And if we do that, I give you my word, I promise you, you'll be blessed. Father God, we love you. 
Lord, thank you for everyone in this room. Lord, thank you, God, that they just carve out time in their schedule. Lord, thank you, God, that, that this is a priority. Lord, we thank you. We love you. I pray that we just understand who we are in you, God, that we would seek first the kingdom. Lord, and if we do that, everything else follows nicely. Lord, let us choose to make you king, Lord of our life. Bless everyone in this room. Keep them safe, God. Keep your hand on them. Protect them and guide them and lead them. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We pray all this in your name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Hope you have a great Sunday. You're welcome to help yourself.